Every year, when Utah's state leaders list their priorities, there's usually one thing that rises to the top of that list. Every single student in Utah deserves the opportunity to gain a quality education. education. And education funding will always be our top priority. A high quality education can change everything. I'm Sonia Hudson. And I'm Emily Means. This is 45 Days. Every week, we try to shed some light on one big issue at the Utah legislature. And this week, we're going to talk about public education, specifically for K-12 through students. We're going to talk to Utah Education Association President Heidi Matthews and KUER education reporter John Reed about things like funding, policy, and of course, COVID. Senate President Stuart Adams, House Speaker Brad Wilson, and Governor Spencer Cox all talked about how important education is in those clips we just heard. Still, it seems like year after year, they talk about it, they put a bunch of money into it, but we still hear that Utah is the worst in the nation for education funding. Can you break down those numbers for us? Yeah, and you are right. We have heard that many, many years now. And when we do hear about that, it's usually referring to per student funding. That's where Utah comes in last place or pretty close to last place. (laughs) And there's a lot that goes into that calculation. The biggest part of it is what we call the weighted pupil unit. And that is the base amount of money that schools get for each student that's enrolled in the school. In a lot of these lists, we're like very dead last, right? Even though we keep throwing more and more money at our schools every year. Sonia, we couldn't be laster in in many (laughs) cases. (laughs) We are usually number 51 on these rankings. And that includes Washington, D.C. That's how we get to 51. But Sonia, KUER has been reporting essentially this same story for three decades. And actually back in 1990... A teacher named Lily Eskelson Garcia wrote a song about this issue. We got so many children, far as the eye can see. Put 37 in a class and we'll call it productivity. We spend less on our kids than any other states do. And fun fact, Lily Eskelson Garcia was actually on President Joe Biden's shortlist for education secretary. Uh, Also, thanks to retired NPR reporter Howard Berkus, who dug up that song from a story he did back in the 90s. So I'm singing the, I'm a teacher and I got to work in Utah Blue. Can I just say, that song is so catchy. (laughs) It's a good good song, you know? It's going to be stuck in my head all day, I guarantee it. Let's get back to this issue of being last in the nation or close to last in the nation for per-people funding. Part of it has to do with Utah's big families. We have more kids per taxpayer than other states. And so, you know, if you spread that money throughout the K-12 through population, it gets kind of thin. In 2018, the U.S. Census Bureau reported the average dollars per student in the country was almost $13,000. In Western states, so in our region, it was $11,600. And Utah was at 7,600. So compared to the rest of the nation, we're like way lower. But even like compared with neighboring states, we're lower. What exactly does that per pupil money pay for? 
most of it goes towards teachers and teacher benefits. And that money is really important because teachers are paid lower in Utah than other states. That has real-world consequences. It makes it harder to recruit them, and it contributes to larger class sizes. Actually, in 2018, Governor Gary Herbert begged retired teachers to come back because of that uh, teacher shortage we have, which is, like I said, largely due to how low teachers are paid here. So what's up with funding in the legislature this year? The legislature is really excited about it, Sonia. They are pretty pleased. Republican Senator Lincoln Fillmore presented the education-based budget a couple weeks ago. This bill has a fiscal note. It's like $6 billion. A small one? Yeah. We're doing a little bit of work here. This is the base budget amendments that will provide the bulk of operating funding for our public schools. So this is unlike any public education-based budget bill that we've seen before. It's larger than the typical base budget bill, and this honors commitments that we made with our voters in November of 2020. That base budget is about $430 million more than last year. And if you look at it in terms of the overall budget, it makes up a little less than a third of the whole budget. The base budget is essentially the money that keeps the lights on. It's based on last year's appropriations for education. But this year, we're seeing more money in part because of Amendment G. And that's the constitutional amendment the voters passed last year that has the potential to really shake up education funding. Yeah, it does a couple of things. One, it lets the legislature use income tax revenue for stuff other than education. So things like social services for people with disabilities. But it also triggered some additional funding this year for education. So that's why we're seeing this budget that legislators are very proud of. Okay, we cannot talk about education without talking about COVID. It's really an understatement to say it's shaken things up. There was Schools going online at the beginning. Then there was the whole debate over, should we go back to school? Should we not go back to school? There's funding, vaccinations. Has the legislature taken any of that into account during the legislative session this year? I wanted to talk with someone who would really know the real impact of COVID on teachers and schools and students. So I talked to Heidi Matthews. She is the president of the Utah Education Association, which is the biggest teachers union in the state. They spend a lot of time lobbying at the legislature on behalf of educators. And I asked Heidi to sum up the session using just a few words. Promises kept and then some and a whole lot of frustration. <laughs> um, it really is a historic year of collaboration. And yet there are just been so many underlying strong arms of policy that have been frustrating. The legislature appropriated more than $6 billion for education. Talk about the kind of impact that money could have. We have been at the lowest per pupil funding in the nation for a very long time. And this year, I do feel like we have turned a big corner in terms of the amount of funding and the collaboration that has come to pass. We see funding for enrollment growth, which of course, should just be, you know, you have more kids, you're going to need more funds. We saw funding for an inflationary factor in the weighted people unit. 
normally we don't separate inflation from an increase on the weighted pupil unit. So when we would see an increase of, say, 2%, that was really lost in just the increasing cost of inflation. And so separating those out and fulfilling the final promise of a 6% increase on the weighted pupil unit in 2020, which we lost in the pandemic, but it was, it was fully restored. How has the legislature changed its approach to teachers and schools this year because of the pandemic? I think there's been a variety of ways that we have interacted that have been different. Access and discussion and collaboration has really improved this year. But we have also seen the difficult place that our legislators are in, in terms of their role in managing a pandemic. And we see a lot of attempts to usurp what we believe should be in the role of the, the Department of Health to make decisions about the health and well-being of communities and, and schools. And so there has been quite a bit of tension around some of those decisions having to do with limiting that authority. Is that kind of the strong arming that you were talking about when you summed it up? It is. You know, from the beginning of the pandemic, so much of the responsibility almost entirely was placed on the local school boards who worked with their local health departments to identify best practices and what was going to work in their communities. And so much of what we are seeing in this legislation is really contrary to that. What bills are total red flags for UEA this year? So at the beginning of the session, when we made our legislative priorities, uh, one of the things we said was, if an educator is not asking for it, don't do it. And that didn't play out so well. <laughs> I think as UEA, we're tracking 60 some odd bills. I think some that are rising to the top have been some of those bills that seek to influence local behavior, target certain districts, particularly the Salt Lake School District. I, those have been, those have been frustrating. We have focused on our more vulnerable students, in particular, House Bill 302. This is the one that wouldn't allow trans girls to participate in girls sports. Correct. We see it as very harmful for some of our most vulnerable students. 175 has been one of concern that opens up the use of special ed funds that are coming from the state for a wider use. We see that as very threatening to an already underfunded special ed funding. On a positive note, testified and supported uh, Senate Bill 184 to eliminate the accountability measures for standardized tests this spring. And that means that we're not going to use this test to punish schools. The pandemic has not been standardized and we can't have a standardized approach about continuing on as if nothing has happened. We know that so many students have been disproportionately impacted based on income and home security and food and race and ethnicity and all of those reasons. We, we cannot expect a test to capture all of the, the differences. Heidi, you mentioned UEA's philosophy when it comes to the legislature and not doing something if a teacher doesn't ask for it. Does that kind of get back to that tension between the want for local control and the legislature? Do you think that speaks to that at all? 
this year, our intention was less about how we work with the legislature as it was on, oh my gosh, our teachers, our educators are going through a lot and we got to do everything that we can to support them right now um, with an eye to the future. Step back. Give us a break. We don't need a year of new programs or changing bureaucracy or added layers of this or that. We need to make it through this year. We need the resources to be able to address the great needs of our students that have been exacerbated in this pandemic. And we have to tread carefully with all of our adults who are in the schools because we see them leaving. You know, we had a teacher shortage before. And, and so we have to be, we have to be very careful and, and forward looking to make sure that we have the best and brightest who are in our classroom because we know that it's our, our educators, our teachers who have the greatest impact on, on student success. Heidi Matthews, Utah Education Association president. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you so much. Heidi Matthews touched on a lot there. There's funding, there's COVID, there's this kind of tension with the legislature. And our attention has kind of been elsewhere. This session, there's so much to cover in this really short span of the 45-day session. So to help us out, we enlisted KUER's education reporter, John Reed, to talk about his take on education this year. John Reed, KUER's education expert extraordinaire. Wow, it's such an honor. Extraordinaire. What a what a title. <laughs> well, you're telling me you earned it, buddy. <laughs> I don't know about that, but let's let's see. We'll see how it goes. John, I just spoke to UEA's Heidi Matthews, and you were listening into that conversation. The legislative session is nearly over, and we're coming up on a year, a year of students learning during a pandemic. So it seems like a pretty good time to reflect. What do you see as some of the biggest impacts from the session and the pandemic? I think Heidi really, you know, she touched on this, but it seems like the biggest thing going forward is just to see how students are doing and how they've kind of managed during this whole pandemic. They face so many disruptions this year from, you know, all the challenges of learning online, having to quarantine for days at a time entire school shutting down, facing COVID-19 outbreaks. So I think that's sort of the big question going forward is how disruptive has this year been? So there's a lot of concerns there, and I think it's going to be a real focus for the state and schools going forward. Right. And the elephant in the room is COVID. This is something we've been dealing with. And COVID has also played a role in education funding. What are a few ways we've seen the legislature specifically address pandemic-related items in education? This isn't necessarily coming from the state, but Utah schools are getting about $274 million in the second round of COVID relief federal funding. So state lawmakers in the budget have directed schools to put most of that federal money towards addressing learning loss. You know, that would be things like after-school programs, hiring temporary classroom aides, individual learning plans, so things like that. That's the funding related to COVID. But what about bills that change how schools respond to the pandemic? So there's a couple bills that would 
basically make things a little bit easier for schools, kind of loosening restrictions. There's one that would essentially raise the threshold for when schools have to quarantine. Basically, more students would have to test positive before the school was recommended to go into lockdown. Another one, this one maybe is a little more controversial, but so, you know, we've had a mask mandate in schools and that's going to last through the end of the year. And there's one bill that would allow local districts to decide, you know, if they want to continue with that. And so the idea behind it was to kind of put some of the authority back into the hands of schools and kind of let them work with their local health departments to see if that's something that they needed or wanted to do. Is there anything else with COVID and the legislature that you wanted to mention? Yeah, I think the last thing I would say is, you know, we've heard a lot about the bonuses teachers are getting this year. So lawmakers this year have put into the budget a $1,500 bonus for public school teachers. Some staff would be getting a $1,000 bonus. And so that was included as sort of a thank you for all that they've had to deal with and all the hard work that they've done during the pandemic. And those teacher bonuses, that was kind of like a dramatic start to the session, right? Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some drama there. You know, early on, lawmakers said they were giving teachers these bonuses, but only if they were in districts that had in-person classes. And so that was clearly singling out teachers in the Salt Lake City School District. For most of the year, they've been entirely remote. And so people that I heard from in the education community, I think were really taken aback by that. And I think Heidi kind of alluded to this too, but it kind of felt like blackmail or strong arming. Teachers were disgusted about how that all played out. And then lawmakers, for their part, they were pretty open and unapologetic about how it really was about getting Salt Lake City to reopen. Salt Lake City ultimately did reopen, and those teachers there will get the bonuses, but it kind of left, I think, a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. That's an example of this sort of tug of war between the legislature and the local school districts. Even though local control is something the legislature says they really like, you know, we're a conservative state. We don't really like government overreach, but we see these examples of where they kind of want to stir the pot in a certain municipality or a certain school district. Are there any other examples of where the legislature is stepping in with education? So we talked about that bill earlier that would essentially raise the threshold of the number of COVID cases that would trigger a school shutting down. Originally, that was a completely different bill. And basically, it would have allowed public education money to follow a student if they left a district to go to another school, including private schools. And that was, again, seen as a very specific way of targeting the Salt Lake City School District because it specifically mentioned that could be done for schools that weren't holding in-person classes. Now, again, it sort of worked out because Salt Lake City, of course, is it's open now, but people kind of felt like that was sort of a backdoor to vouchers using public education money to help students pay for private school. Again, it's just sort of these little signs showing that the legislature, they say they support local control, they want schools to have control, but then they're also kind of directing things as they see fit. One thing we've heard is just how difficult this year has been for teachers. So John, are we going to see like a mass teacher exodus because of the pandemic? I don't, I mean, it's a good question. I think it's a big worry, definitely. And Heidi definitely touched on that a little bit. I think so far there isn't great data on it for this year, 
I saw something from the state school board showing data from the 2019-2020 school year and basically found that retirements were up a little bit from the year before, but resignations were down slightly. And then this year, you know, I've, I've heard from some districts who have seen more teachers leaving than usual. We've also reported a little bit on, you know, just how the strains of teaching this year and some of the difficult conditions that teachers have faced that that's kind of made some teachers question whether they want to continue with it. The other thing I would just add real quick is that the state has historically had a hard time attracting new people into teaching and keeping them in part because of the lower salaries here. So I think, yeah, definitely it's going to be a big question going forward and, and something schools might have to contend with. But just the extent and magnitude of it is, I think, a little bit unclear at this point. Okay, John, I put Heidi Matthews through a creative exercise when I talked with her. She used to be an English teacher. She was a librarian at one point. So I thought she would like be up for a little word game. I asked her to sum up the legislative session's impact on education using just a few words. And I would like to challenge you to do the same. Oh, God. Okay. Well, let's see what I can do. I don't quite have a haiku ready, but she said it pretty well, which is, this was a pretty good year for the most part for education, but there's still a lot of questions ahead. We did see a nice increase in education funding this year, but Utah still is going to rank pretty pretty close to the bottom in per-student funding. And even the increase this year is probably not going to be enough to, to make much of a difference there. The big things, again, learning loss, that's going to be a big question, just how much students are impacted. And then whether, you know, education funding remains a priority in years to come. John, I was just trying to like count all of those syllables and I don't think you quite made it to a haiku. Yeah, it might have just been a couple over, but hopefully it was close. <laughs> well, assign that to you as homework, okay? Sounds good. Okay. John, thank you for talking with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Sonia, what else happened in Utah politics this week? All right, I've got three things for you like every week. First is one of the bills that we talked about last week and also one of the ones that Heidi Matthews mentioned, the bill that would ban transgender girls from playing on girls sports teams in school. That bill was stopped basically by a Senate committee on Thursday. They could still technically bring it back, but it seems like that's pretty much dead for the session. Number two, Dixie State University students made the long drive up from St. George to Capitol Hill this week. They held a rally and talked to some senators about a bill that would change the name of their university. That bill has already passed the House, but it's been stuck in the Senate. The reason for that is that Senate leaders say there hasn't been enough community input and they don't want to rush the process. But after meeting with the students, they came out and said, yeah, we're going to move forward with this bill. So activism works. And for number three, we're going to go to the national stage. Interior Secretary nominee Deb Holland said that she would listen to Utah's concerns about national monuments. And this was a response to a question from Utah Senator Mike Lee during her confirmation hearing. And this is important because Utah leaders have said that they're worried about President Joe Biden restoring the Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monuments to their original size after they were downsized by President Trump. 
Sonia, next week is the last week of the general session. Woo! 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 Uh, what the <laughs> heck can we expect? So it's going to be a lot of bills, super rapid fire. They pass a bunch of bills in the last week. They go super late into the night because they're running against this clock that runs out at midnight on the last night of the session. And even when that happens, when they adjourn signing die at midnight on the last night, lawmakers will often stick around and uh, have have some fun. Last year, there was some cowboy poetry read on the floor of the House. There was a quartet of lawmakers that sung a song about the Utah legislature. So it was a good time. I hope that they continue to do that in a, in a COVID safe way this year. Also, they turn into pumpkins at midnight. So, yes, that's how it works. <laughs> All right, that does it for this week on 45 Days. I'm Emily Means. I'm Sonia Hudson. The show was edited by Caroline Ballard and produced by Roddy Nickpour. Chelsea Naughton is our digital editor. Trisha Bobita is KUER's podcast manager. Our news director is Elaine Clark, and the station manager is Joel Meyer. We also send out a newsletter every Monday that recaps the previous week in politics. And you can sign up for that newsletter at 45days.org. That's the number 45days.org. Talk to you next week. Oakley, oakley. Podcast is very easy to say. Podcasts. Very hard. <laughs> <laughs> From KUER.